What is grace? Grace is community. Grace is passion. Grace is for everyone. Today we continue our journey with the Apostle Paul. We've been looking at several stories in the book of Acts from Paul's dramatic conversion when he was blinded and later healed by Ananias to Paul's first missionary journey. We saw last week how missions has always been about two things together, the body and the soul. Our missions work will always aim to help people who are in physical need, and we will use our words to tell others about Jesus. Today we look at an aspect of our call and commitment to Jesus that is far less enticing as we listen for God's voice and respond to God's will in our lives. Sometimes it may seem like suffering is inevitable, but is it? Do we have to go through hardships to be faithful to Jesus? Can we avoid the difficult parts and still do God's will? Let's hear our scripture for today from Eric, who is going to share from the book of Acts. The story takes place just after the Apostle Paul has had a vision. He sees a man that says to Paul, come over to Macedonia and help us. Paul and his companions, they're convinced, and right away go over to Macedonia. They get on a boat and sail across the Mediterranean to modern-day Greece. They travel inland to a booming city called Philippi, which is where we get the book of the Bible, Philippians. And they spend a few days there. They preach on the edge of the city by the river, and the first European convert is made there. It's a woman, and her name is Lydia. After this exciting event, a few days later, there is trouble. This is Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 34. Hear now the word of the Lord. One day, as we were going to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners a great deal of money by fortune-telling. While she followed Paul and us, she would cry out, These men are slaves of the Most High God, who proclaim to you a way of salvation. She kept doing this for many days. But Paul, very much annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I order you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of making money was gone, they realized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. When they had brought them before the magistrates, they said, these men are disturbing our city. They are Jews and are advocating customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to adopt or observe. The crown joined in attacking them, and the magistrates had them stripped of their clothing and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had given them a severe flogging, they threw them into prison and ordered the jailer to keep them securely. Following these instructions, he put them in the innermost cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was an earthquake, so violent that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately, all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer woke up and saw the prison doors wide open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, since he supposed that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted in a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we all are all here. The jailer called for lights, and rushing in, he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. 
Then he brought them outside and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They answered, Believe on the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. At the same hour of the night, he took them and washed their wounds. Then he and his entire family were baptized without delay. He brought them up in the house and set food before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced that he had become a believer in God. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, may we be an inclusive community, passionately following Jesus Christ. May we understand suffering rightly. We don't want needless pain. We want to be faithful disciples of you. Help us to discern the way. In Christ we pray. Amen. Suffering can take many forms these days. Just take a look at the news. Uh, Elon Musk, the tech-owning multi-billionaire, decided he wanted to buy stock in, uh, to purchase outright Twitter this week. Uh, he, the deal was for $44 billion. Uh, but literally the day the deal was announced, Twitter's stock dropped 12%. Uh, that's worth about $5 billion in one day. Uh, and Elon Musk, what does he do? He hedges, he says, oh, I don't know about this deal anymore. You know, Twitter has a, a lot of bots that are making posts on there. He essentially is making a pitch to renegotiate the deal. And he can't just walk away from this one either because there's a clause in the contract that he signed that says if he walks away, he owes outright $1 billion to Twitter. And uh, we have a, a word for this kind of regret, right? It's called buyer's remorse. And the board at Twitter, uh, they said, you know, no takebacks. You're paying full price here, buddy. And uh, if you feel anything like I do from uh, having a PayPal credit card in the early 2000s or any other things that Elon Musk has done that maybe have rubbed you the wrong way, maybe you're saying to yourself, that's justice being served right there. Now, some of these numbers are huge, and it can be a little hard for us to relate to losing billions of dollars in a day. So how about this? Uh, one young lady, Amelia, who just turned 20, recently discovered something called buy now, pay later. It's a little different from a credit card because there's no card that carries a balance. Uh, you just pay a quarter of the price today and you can worry about the rest later. It made very expensive clothes very affordable to her, so she, she bought it all. She bought shoes and jewelry and shirts, all at a fraction of their actual cost. The problem, of course, is that eventually the bill does come due. Her payments of 10 and $20 now added up to hundreds and then thousands of dollars just a few months later. And she called her father, scared that she was stuck with a bill that she couldn't pay. Her dad, I think, handled it right when he said, you got to stop buying all this stuff, and you are going to pay back every cent that you owe. No bailout from him. Uh, he would offer his support to her, but she had to learn a hard lesson by paying for the consequences of her actions herself. Now, these examples remind us that some kinds of suffering that are out there, they can be examples of 
self-inflicted suffering, right? They did it to themselves. They made the misstep, so of course they have to deal with it. That kind of suffering, I think, we rightly expect in our lives. If we do something wrong, we suffer the consequences of it. But we might feel very differently about suffering when it is something that we have no control over. I think of the baby formula shortage. I imagine for many of us, our heart goes out to those that are dealing with this problem. A couple months ago, a major baby formula manufacturer shut down because their formula was making some babies sick. They were the biggest maker in the country of special baby formulas. Some of the babies can't drink regular milk, so they need this hypoallergenic formula. They, they need this special uh, kind of milk so that they won't have an allergic reaction. And plenty of mothers, they have no choice but to, well, what can you do? And there are reports of mothers bringing their babies into the hospital because they cannot find food for their babies. What anguish that must be for those mothers, unable to provide for the basic needs of their child. I couldn't imagine the mix of feelings that must bring to them. Suffering can be mistakes that we make, and it can be things that we have absolutely no control over. War, disease, poverty, environmental destruction, so many of these things are beyond one person's choices or, or one community. So does that mean it's inevitable we have to suffer because problems are beyond our control? Well, I think the Apostle Paul presents a really interesting example for all of us. He has a vision of this man saying, come to Macedonia, and immediately the very next day, they set sail for Turkey and Asia to Greece and Europe. Uh, it takes only a couple of days sailing, which means they had favorable winds. The wind was blowing at their back, getting them to their destination, and they get to the leading city in the district. This is Philippi, a smaller, more rural city, but it has a lot going for it. It was the site of a famous battle after the death of Julius Caesar. It had the main trade route to the center of the Roman Empire. And there are mines not far from it that have lots of silver and gold in them. For a little city, it has a lot of wealth and important people. It has a lot going for it. It's not too surprising, then, that Paul picks this place to go. He knows if you want to make an impact, you need to go somewhere where you can make the biggest impact. So he's there looking for a way to share Jesus with others. Usually he goes to the Jewish synagogue and starts there. But here in Philippi, there is no synagogue. There aren't enough Jews to even support one. This is a really weird situation for the apostle to be in. I'm sure he felt totally out of his element. So he goes to the one place where if there are a few Jews in that area, they would be gathered together for worship. They go by the river and instead of a small Jewish community, they find some women there. Again, this is out of the ordinary. Paul is definitely breaking cultural rules here by trying to find a way to engage this community, but he starts talking to them. I imagine this whole time Paul is looking for the man in his vision. Where is the Macedonian that said, come here and help us? But instead of this man, he finds Lydia. She sells really expensive cloth, which means she's a very successful merchant, and by the end, she is 
the first convert in the continent in Europe. It's not what the Apostle Paul envisioned, but it's definitely good news, right? One believer is better than none. It's all good until a few days later when the Apostle is very much annoyed by a little girl, uh, and uh, he commands the evil spirit to come out of this little girl. I'd like to point out for just a moment that this doesn't happen the way we probably imagine it. Usually we think of instantaneous miracles. Someone lays hands or commands a spirit to come out, and we expect immediate reactions. Notice, though, that the scripture says it happened that hour. It didn't happen immediately. Sometimes that word for hour can actually mean something like at the appointed time by God. The effect of the command of Paul's prayer here isn't immediately. It isn't right away. It's when God makes it happen. And it seems like maybe it took a little bit for the change to happen. Verse 19 says, but when our owners saw that their hope of making money was gone, maybe it it took a beat for them to realize what had happened, the change that took place here. So she couldn't do her was gone. This is actually more good news for the Apostle Paul in his first journey to Europe. They start with no safe group to host them and feed them. They are on their own, and now they have a convert to host them and a miraculous healing from this evil spirit. But it's not good for long. The men who controlled this little girl for profit, they get angry quick. They, they grab Paul and his companion Silas and bring them before the authorities. This magistrate is a kind of mayor and judge and commander of the army all rolled into one. He could do pretty much whatever he thought was right. Paul and Silas are accused here of trying to convert people to their religion. So they are then stripped and beaten. Uh, the beating would have been... It would have involved a a fascist, and uh, uh, it's a bunch of sticks that are tied together as a symbol of authority, but it's also used to literally beat people. Uh, Sometimes it had an axe sticking out of it, and uh, you you can see the fascist here. Here's the axe at the very top of it, and that was a signal that they had the power to use capital punishment. If you did it something bad enough, they would decide right then and there that you deserved to die. So this is a dire situation that Paul and Silas are in. You can find a a fascist today in some ancient art and buildings that use Roman designs, but it's also a symbol of the alt-right of fascists. They are signaling that they have the authority and the right to beat you, to make you suffer because they choose it. And as Christians, we continue to reject this notion of violence being a solution for our problems. Paul and Silas are receiving this beating. They are foreigners, clearly poor after having slept for several days without decent lodging, and accused of sharing about God. The beating was used to humiliate them to stop others from following them, and to extract information, to get people to confess to their crimes. Now, today we know that's a really terrible way to do it. Beating people or interrogating them for hours on end, making them suffer, is a quick way to get a false confession out of someone. At a certain point, people will tell you just about anything to get out of their pain. But 
Paul and Silas here, they don't seem to say anything. There is no confession from them. They are stoic in their suffering. Then they are imprisoned in the deepest jail cell and put in stocks. The stocks would have forced their legs into particularly painful positions, and so they would have still been being tortured even into the night. So they're stripped, beaten, humiliated, actively being tortured. And what do they do? They start praying and singing praises to God. And the other prisoners around them are listening. I I could imagine them looking at each other saying, what's up with these guys? They are in the worst possible position, and they are praising God? They are content and thankful? Why would they do that? Are they ignoring their pain? Are they pretending like it's not happening to them? In Buddhism, they would say most suffering is caused by desire. So they combat it by avoiding ignorance, hatred, and cravings. They, they work to find a middle way that avoids the extremes of, of luxury and poverty. And you can do this internal mental work to reduce your suffering. Now, I don't necessarily have a problem with that logic, but what happens with Paul and Silas is far different from that. As they praise God in their suffering, there is an incredible, powerful work of God. The impossible happens as an earthquake rips open the doors and breaks their shackles. Uh, By the way it's described here, this could only be the hand of God at work in this situation. When the jailer wakes up, he knows he's in trouble, and so he is going to honorably take his life instead of facing execution for his failure. Either way, he knows that he is dead. So when Paul and Silas call out and say, everybody is still in place, they're all in their prisons, no one has fled, they are literally saving this man's life. He falls on his knees before them. He is trembling beside himself because of the mercy they have shown, and he puts his life now into their hands, saying, what must I do to be saved? And the answer is simple. Believe on Jesus. Paul and Silas now have an attentive audience for their message. They explain who Jesus was about his death and resurrection, and the jailer's household is converted and baptized then and there. Their wounds are tended, they are fed, and it looks like everything is made right except for one small fact. Here's the kicker in all of this. The Apostle Paul and Silas are still technically prisoners at this point. The next day, the magistrate says they are allowed to go free, but Paul says, Oh, no, 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 no. You just beat a Roman citizen without having a trial first. You have just broken the law. Paul knew all along that what they were doing to him was wrong. He knew they were breaking the law, but he didn't tell them. He willingly took a beating to get leverage over the city leaders. All of his pain and suffering was 
in some sense, intentional. He did it on purpose. He let their anti-Jewish bias, their racism, their disdain for the poor, and their own prejudice lead them down the wrong path so, so far that their sin becomes obvious to everyone around them. So Paul says, if you want to let us go free, come and do it yourselves. Come apologize to us and kiss our uh, behinds. Can I say that? Kiss our behinds? Kiss our patooties? Maybe that's a little better. And that's not the end of the story here either. Throughout his missionary journeys, Paul goes through multiple shipwrecks, drifting for a day in the open sea. He's hungry and thirsty, beaten repeatedly, and as I mentioned last week, he was likely going blind and may have been completely blind by the time he was imprisoned and then executed. So there are sufferings that happen to him on purpose that he chooses to inflict on himself. And there are all these other things that have absolutely nothing to do with his choices. They just happen. So the lesson we learn from the Apostle Paul is not to ignore suffering or to pretend like it's not happening. No, Paul is obviously aware of the pain that he's going through, but he sees the bigger goal and how he can help everyone move toward that goal. Whatever is happening to him, whether being beaten by the leaders that have eye disease, he keeps pointing to Jesus. He points everything to Jesus. As he says in 2 Corinthians, our momentary affliction is for eternal glory. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be made visible in our bodies. All suffering, whether we cause it ourselves or we just happen to be in the way, is just like the suffering of Jesus on the cross, even the very worst of what the world can throw at us is an opportunity to bring glory to God. Now, this is not to minimize the pain. This is not meant to take away from the awful nature of some suffering. Diseases can be terrible. Surgery and recovery from that can be horrible. But is it not also a unique opportunity? Imagine being surrounded by strangers at the hospital, and instead of being beaten and defeated by what you've gone through, you are praising God, singing to the Lord even in pain, even if death is imminent. The Apostle Paul teaches us how every day, everything that happens to us is another chance to bring glory to God and draw others to Christ. In the midst of adversity is exactly the right time to praise God. So let's end here. Uh, Anita had a beautiful life in Iran until one day her husband died in a traffic accident. She was in denial, left with just herself and her young son, but eventually she was able to remarry. Almost immediately, though, she learned that her husband was abusive. 
she gave birth to a beautiful baby girl, Roxana, but it was only a few months later that her husband got into trouble with the authorities, and she had to flee with her family across the mountains into Turkey. She wasn't ready for this, and she got frostbite on her fingers and mouth and toes. Her little baby was in her arms and eventually stopped breathing. She was devastated and thought, God, why are you punishing me in this way? Crouched on the ground with her limp baby, she was at her lowest. She wanted to die. What she didn't know was that God was right there with her. A few hours later, they were in the custody of the Turkish police, warming themselves by the fire when somehow, miraculously, Roxana was alive. They were in prison for four months, but a, a businessman who was at one point in prison with them helped get them released through Amnesty International. At their new home in Europe, she had some men knock on her door. They gave her a Bible, and for some reason, she just couldn't throw it away. Weeks later, when her husband again abused her, she opened it up. She asked God to speak to her and for God's help in her life. Eventually, she was able to leave her abusive husband and find an emergency shelter with nuns. Even then, she wondered if she could learn to love and trust Jesus like those women did. Finally, she came to a turning point when she returned to Iran to visit a dying relative the authorities were suspicious as to why she had left in the first place. She had to endure three months of hearings and interviews. She was in the hands of the judge, waiting for his verdict. And perhaps naively and foolishly, she promised God that she would give her life to Christ if he would save her from this ordeal. Right there in court, she prayed, and as she cried, he had mercy on her and let her go. Maybe she wasn't so much in the hands of the judge as she was in the hands of Christ. From that day on, her life had been devoted to Jesus. She sees him at work in her life and in the lives of others every day. Her suffering has led her to see Christ even in the suffering, even when things weren't going her way. That's the wisdom of the Apostle Paul. All things point us to Christ. All things are a reason to give glory to God. All suffering is a chance to draw near to Christ and to help others to do the same. We don't ask for it. We don't minimize the heartache and pain of suffering. But we do see how suffering can bring us face to face with God. Amen? Amen. For everything happening at Grace, check out our website at gumc.org.